Wine Monk Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to the latest podcast by the Arizona Wine Monk. I am here with James once again, although you don't know the reference for once again because I haven't posted that podcast because of life. We'll get to that when we get to that. Also here with Jesse and Alaric, who is not a goth and is not wearing armor. Hello. <laughs> uh, we are doing a Syrah comparison uh, between one of the most famous classical Syrahs of the Northern Rome, Cornaw, and then, uh, which is uh, a Rhone appellation that has 100% Syrah. And then we are also doing the San Reckoner 20, um, 2012 number 7. Uh, which is also a 100% Syrah. We're going to try to drink these two side by side. Um, in retrospect, I should have found a marker or tape to label which one was which, so you'll have to remember which one's where. So I'm going to pour the Cornoffs first. I'm just going to pour a little bit here. You done with your rosé? Yeah. Jesse brought us a really, really nice uh, rosé to start off with. The Notorious Pink, uh, which is a 2016 rosé of Grenache, which was had a lot of lychee. That's how I say it, lychee. We were That's having a conversation it. of, wait, how do you say lychee? Is it lychee? Is it lychee? Anyway, and then it's like, oh, now I'm self-conscious. I can't remember how to pronounce it. Tomato, tomato. Speaking of tomato, tomato, and potato, potato, those two plants are actually very closely related. To lychee? No, to or each to other. each other. You could theoretically graft a tomato onto a potato. Really? Yeah, so I've heard. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And then pouring for myself the corn. Now we've got the San Reckoner number seven. Uh, both these wines are 2012 vintage, which was a happy accident. Do I need to finish this one? No, 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 no. Uh, yours will be easy because this glass, for some reason, no matter what I do, never gets fully clean. So, yay. The foggy one is the Arizona one for you. I may have poured a little bit more of the Arizona one than the Cordonaw for everybody, but uh, I'm the only one who doesn't have two identical glasses. Cause Everything's taking... bigger in America. Yeah. <laughs> America. 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 Fuck yeah. America. Fuck yeah. Anyway. So. Now, uh, did you happen to bring your wine Bible thingy-mabobber for yourself? Regrettably, no, sir. Okay. But uh, I have read about Cornos a bit. So I why don't you introduce us to, to Cornos? Because you definitely know more about this <clears throat> appellation than I do. Well, generally speaking, I'm really fascinated with grapes and the wines produced from such grapes that are produced in really arid, rocky, desolate hard-to-reach type regions. A uh, good example of that is Priorat, which is one of the newer Spanish appellations. Uh, Priorat's a very desolate location in uh, 
in Spain. I actually have a bottle of that, but that's to be continued. Um, Cornat, of course, is located along the uh, banks of the Rhone River. It's in the northern Rhone area. Um, it is a rugged, steep, rocky, arid place. Uh, the Cornaw Appalachian is tiny, centered around the village of Cornaw, and so consequently you don't get a great volume of wine produced from it. I know the name Cornaw, I think they say, actually they say Cornas. I saw an interview on YouTube with, the, with one of the vintners, and he, he said Cornas. Uh, it's a, actually a, <coughs> a Celtic word, uh, derived from a Celtic word meaning the burnt land, so that kind of, you know, alludes to the aridity of the place. So it's that, been... that would be Cournu from, from Gallic, right? It could be, it could be. I don't quite have the linguistic grasp on that, but I definitely... From what little I know of, of Celtic, that, that makes so sense. So that, in, you know, that yeah, region sorry. probably has been producing wine for quite some time. Um, so it is 100% Syrah. Uh, when they harvest this particular grape, the Syrah at Cornas, they, uh, you know, they, it's, it's not a flat, well-irrigated, easily accessible location. I mean, you're talking blood, sweat, tears, and really hard labor to harvest these grapes uh, on these really steep, arid slopes. And again, for me, I really appreciate sampling a wine in which so much hard work and toil goes into. It just adds to the enjoyment for me. Um, from what I've understood about Cornas before trying it, it can, can kind of be a harsh, leathery, uh, kind of like you get whiplash on your tongue when you first try it. But we've decanted this particular bottle, and so, again, I think once it's opened up properly, it's going to get some... It's going to have a really, really good payoff. So, we shall see. Uh, sand record, on the other hand, it's flat, level ground on the Wilcox bench. And granted, it's not exactly a, a cakewalk to farm there by any stretch of the imagination, as any grape growers will, will tell you. Uh, the history of that vineyard is that it used to be the uh, Sun, Sun Sites Vineyard, Sun something, Sunny something, I can't remember. And, I can kind of see the, the label in my head, but I'm blanking on, on, the, on the name. Uh, someone will probably comment and correct me. Um, but anyway, and then uh, Rob Havelman, who is the winemaker and owner of Sam Reckoner, uh, bought that vineyard, and this is 100% estate Syrah from that vineyard. Uh, I. You know, not having been to Cornell, I don't really know how it compares to Wilcox other than topography. Um, you know, whether they are as prone to late frost as Wilcox is or not, I don't know. Um, that's one of the big problems with, with growing in Wilcox. I would suspect there's a great difference, or some significant difference, in the mineral quality of the soil. And that's probably going to be reflected in how we taste the wines this evening. True. Well, I could probably... Ah. Uh, look that up. I know uh, the bench is alluvial soil from uh, ancient Lake Cochise, um, but I don't know what the geology of Cornwall is, so let's see if Google tells me anything. Probably not. Which one do you like better? Uh, climate and geography. Okay, so shielded from the Mistral winds in the spring. It's often the first Appalachian north to begin the, f 
the harvest. Aha! Uh, and the northy, northern part, especially near Les Chalots, uh, the soil contains chalk, but is mostly sandy and rocky, mm -hmm. with characteristic reddish-brown dirt. Uh, the sunny sector of Quota de Renaud uh, has finds at 300 meters in granite soil. And then near Lacote and Lacombe, uh, the soil is mostly clay. So which... Yeah, I was just wondering the same thing. Probably tell me something, but I don't know enough about. Domain it. a ghost clap or clay clap. I don't know, but uh, I could perhaps do my own independent little research here momentarily on that particular. Oh, look at look at August clap and, and find mm -hmm. out. Uh, and that might tell you First which uh, part of Cornell. Correct. Again, it's it's a tiny, it really tiny is. place. It really is. And I don't think it's even nearly the size of, for example, Chateauneuf de Pop. And I don't think Cornas has gotten anywhere near the attention that Chateauneuf de Pop wines have gotten over the years. It's kind of, uh, I would say on the whole, it's been kind of under the radar. But again, I just kind of discovered it through my own haphazard amateur research and just in reading the description of it in the wine Bible, uh, I was just really intrigued by it. Uh, not available. Vineyard is not available. That's a pity. Womp womp. Anyway. <sighs> so for the Cornaw, it's definitely a lot tighter. Uh, heavier tobacco on the nose for me. Uh, I'm getting Perique and a little bit of Latakeo. And this sort of earthy musty character. Uh. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I'm not getting any of your uh, stomach gas out of mine. <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of a floral quality, sort of like violet or lilac as well. Yes, I'm getting that myself. It's it seems kind of, very tight. I'm not getting like any fruit. I'm getting a wee bit of fruit, actually. Um, but it could also be because I poured the Cornell like an idiot into my shitty plastic glass from the dollar <laughs> store as opposed to like, you know, the good Arizona wine growers. Here, try glass. mine real quick. See if there's a difference. I'm a moron. What else is new? <laughs> no, yours tastes the same as mine. Really? Oh, yeah, you have a little bit more fruit yes. character in yours for sure. Like a, a dark, almost like cassis, which is not something I really expect from Syrah, something that dark. Oh, that's interesting. Um... Sand record, on the other hand, it's a lot lighter and brighter on the nose right now. That was the first one. Um, I'm also getting sort of a cedar incense character, sandalwood, cherry. Still getting Latakea pipe tobacco. Um, but that's something I get from Syrah as a generality. I'm getting a little bit of, just a little bit of vegetable quality as far as there's definitely some herby stuff going on, like a creosote or, or yes. a uh, petrichor, like rain coming off the desert thing. What about you guys? 
on Sound Reckoner. Or, or in general for, for the previous each. one, I am getting blue cheese. <laughs> mm, on the corn dog. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. But when you said musty, I'm like, that's that's what it smells like. It smells like blue cheese immediately. <sighs> Blanc Francish to me always smells like blue cheese. This is the, the weirdest thing. What about uh, Sand Reckoner? I can't, it's like velvety, like, like blood red velvet, and I can't figure out what that smell is, but, <laughs> but the texture of the smell. That would be a good name for a band. <laughs> you know, this is going to sound really off the wall, but in tasting wine, nothing is really off the wall as far as the world, but I'm getting a little bit of artichoke out of this Sand Reckoner, just a wee bit. Hmm. Again, it's that. got a vegetal quality to it, which is not off-putting at all. Now, uh, I drank a bottle of this a good eon ago. Uh, so it's interesting because this bottle dates... Uh, the vintage, anyway, dates back to the year that I came back from uh, my exile in Boston. <laughs> uh, for all the good that did. Of course, kind of both of these bottles are 2012, so it's the same year. Um, so they both date <laughs> back to that. Uh, the last super shitty year, I think, was, was 2012 for me, and then the the events of the last month of uh, this year of our Lord 2017 can suck it. Yes. <laughs> um, which is why I haven't posted the, the previous podcast for reasons. Um, well, you know, it's it was a pretty decent podcast. It was a great podcast. Abby did wonderful food. There was great oh, banter. Abby was um, but the, the problem was at the very end, we talk about uh, my plans for proposing and how I'm going to propose to my then-girlfriend. Uh, I proposed. I didn't even finish the sentence, and then she panicked, and then by the next morning it was over on her part. Uh, she just gave up. And I never figured out why. And she never gave me a reason. So, yeah, that was kind of heartrending. But well, I, can, I think we can all agree that your true, true passion in life, that which you were born to excel at, is the appreciation of wine. This is very true. It is something I am very good at. Um, I'm good at drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm good at talking about drinking, or, or as I like to say, I'm good at writing about drinking and drinking about writing. <laughs> I, I thought that was funny in my head. Continuing <laughs> my aroma, I, I'm really quite shocked at how much fruit I'm getting at this stage out of this Cornaw as far as the aroma goes. I have not yet tasted it. Neither have I. We should probably do that. So here we go. Aroma of truth for the Cornaw. Wow, that's tight. Wow. <coughs> this Swiss cheese mm -hmm. really has Does opened up what? nicely pizza? since we decanted. <laughs> that's why it's funnier when she says it. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not at all what I expected at this stage, and this is a good thing. 
this has really opened up. I'm really getting the fruit. In the last podcast you alluded to, in which we opened the bottle of Chateauneuf de Pop, you know, it took me forever and ever and ever to get to the fruit payoff. I was just like digging through layers of minerality waiting for the fruit payoff. And now I'm getting the fruit payoff a hell of a lot sooner than I did with the, uh, with the Chateauneuf. Uh, for me, and again, maybe this is just my, my shitty glass, um, very, very intense earth, uh, super duper earth, like, it's almost Beats. like chewing on clay. Beats. Um, there's a little bit of fruit, very subtle sort of uh, cherry, Uh, lots and lots of tobacco, lots and lots of leathery leatherness. It almost makes me think of like a dominatrix and a leather <laughs> everything. It's, it's really funny because one of the descriptions I wrote, I, excuse me, I read about Cornas was it has this effect on your palate, like a leathery whiplash, almost something like a dominatrix. It's so funny you mention that now, but. That's exactly that's exactly where this Yeah, point I'm, I'm pretty sure at this point in time the the, the Cornal is the Wow, that takes me back to also twenty twelve. Uh, the the Dominatrix incident where a Dominatrix tried to pick me up at a burger joint. <laughs> and that's uh, a bad thing? Uh, she was blonde. I don't typically go for blondes. <laughs> don't like blondes. A blonde Dominatrix nonetheless. Yeah. Also <laughs> she she wanted <sighs> She was all like, oh, I just moved here. I think you would be a great client. I'm just like, mm. uh, I can not afford grad school as it is. So Did she want to do the uh, Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS fantasy? Uh, no, I'm just... <laughs> my, my one true fantasy is someone who actually cares for me in the same way I care for them. Aww. Aww. <laughs> Gag on me with a spoon. Or a hundred of them. That's all right. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, it's very tight. I think, I, I mean, you've, you've, this is not your first Cornaw. This is my, uh, this is your second. This is my first. Well, this is actually my, this is different this from the other the one that I had. Before. The other one I had was, when it opened up, it was just like really fleshy and meaty. I would, I would characterize it that way. More huh. so than fruity. Uh, and I really enjoyed that sensation. You remember the ridiculous text? Oh, Yes. Yes, I do. I believe something about a velvety clitoris was included in the description, but I really loved it. Uh, but it's not the same as this one. I'm getting more fruit, blackberry type stuff, type sensations out of this one. I feel like the sand reckoner is opening up much faster. Um, I like this on the corner. So, so which of the two do you like most so far? I like the sand reckoner. Sand reckoner? Mm -hmm. He likes. Cornal? Yep. Or Cornas? The Cornal. The Cornal, yeah. Well, I like the first one you poured, the Cornal. The second yeah. one, so I don't know. We're opposites. I'm getting green olives. On which one? In the Cornal. Green olives and blue cheese. You're one step away from an hors d'oeuvre there. <laughs> yeah. you need some caviar. I can I can definitely detect the olive in the aroma. You're you're right. I do get the sort of like good green olive. Mm -hmm. 
It actually reminds me of the most recent Syrah release from San Reckoner, a little bit more than uh, this one. And that's the Red Tree Ranch Syrah. I remember tasting it in the tasting room and remembering this sort of briny flavor that was like a good green olive. Mm -hmm. um, and I fell in love with that Syrah. Uh, I can't wait to actually crack open my bottle and review it. Uh, on its own, on a mountaintop somewhere with a nice land. I need to find a good landscape to pair it with. A way to review. Um, right. Uh, when I do my review, because uh, one former ex of mine uh, commented that the really best way to find out whether I like to wine or not, because I don't like to make value judgments in the blog, is uh, how much effort did I go into to getting the photograph for, for a given wine? If I put in very little effort, and looks kind of okay, then probably I didn't like it very much, but if I really enjoyed it, then clearly I, I went into more effort to to get a better picture. Uh, <laughs> and she, she was, you know, uh, spot on uh, in that aspect. I didn't even think about it until she, she commented. So you do have a background in geology, yes? Uh, yes. And so, forgive me for eating a slice of pizza, with that knowledge of geology, you are well positioned to actually match geological formations to wine. Uh, yes, uh, and I do think that different wines uh, and different rock formations uh, and different styles of rocks and soils that have eroded out of them do have an effect on wines. Um, there's not a lot of scientific data to really support this assessment because no one wants to do the studies for it. I figured out how I would do the study. Uh, at least answering the question of is minerality and wine related to local landscape, uh, but I don't have the funding for said study. I would have written a paper with the geologist I needed, but no! Um, well, she wouldn't have had the funding either. But anyway, uh, what I would do if I had the funding for the study is I would actually look at Calibri specifically, because mm -hmm. it does stand out from all the other Arizona wineries. And what I would do is do like a mass spectrometry, spectrometer, spectrometry, whatever it's called. Where basically you take a sample, you vaporize it, and you look at the different uh, spectrum of minerals that are in it. And then you would take a wine from that same vineyard and then apply that same technique to it and see if the spectrums match or are close in some ways. And if there's a, a definite overlap, then okay. Uh, I think we can say that minerality, at least, uh, is definitely a thing, whether it's on the palate or not, but the definite, there is a definite effect of the local landscape and local geology in a wine. Um, and that's one of the beautiful things about drinking a glass of wine, especially from a faraway place. I mean, it is, in a way, your passport to that place via your palate rather than an airplane, because you are tasting the location, you're tasting the terroir. It, if you just really use your imagination, you can really kind of picture the landscape as it's being painted on your palette, mm -hmm. with a palette of colors. Um, <laughs> attempted a witticism, but I don't think that works. But anyway, you get the point. Uh, I, I definitely I feel like this Cornaw is coming from a clay-based soil, is my impression. Uh, clay or chalk, one of the two, or a clay-based chalk. Right. Or chalk and you did clay. mention one of the areas. One, you know, there's one area that's definitely clay. I'm not getting that, that sort of peppery 
character that I personally associate with vineyards growing in granite-based soils, based on my admittedly limited experience. Um, but that's just me. As I play with this bottle with my feet. Yes, you're pretty much fondling it down there, which is <laughs> fine. We're very open-minded folks here. This is Jerome, after all. We're progressive about these things. Foot fetishes, Just what as long you. as the bottle can scent it. Huh? <laughs> I mean, I think it's been sitting there, this one tastes better. So in a general sense, <clears throat> you're right, the Cornaw is very much yeah. tighter on the palate than the Sand Reckoner. But the Sand Reckoner has more of a kind of a... I think the Sand Reckoner has a more diverse effect on my palate, which I kind of appreciate more. Yeah, there's, there's a lot more going on on the Sand Reckoner right now. Uh, it could be that we just haven't decanted the Cornaw long enough. Um, I read tasting notes, and there was one person who said that this wine is, at this point in time, still undrinkable uh, because it's still so tannic and, and closed. Huh. Uh, but then there were other people like, oh, this wine is, is fine, you just got to give it more time and, the, and a decanter, blah, blah, blah. So, But still, like I said, maybe it's just my weird palate, but the moment I started tasting it, I was getting the fruit. I was breaking through the tannins, I was breaking through the minerality, I was getting the fruit, and I was I was really shocked by that. Uh, there, there is some fruit. Uh, it's uh, got a sort of a cassis and cherry character now. Uh, what are you guys tasting on the palate now? I'm starting to get a little more fruit, but it's still, still briny. Like Castle... Castle, I can't say this either. Castle Vitrano, all this? Uh, Castle Vitrano. Yes. <laughs> Which are my actually, favorite. They're delicious. Aren't those the ones <laughs> that are actually stuffed with blue cheese? Or am I thinking of a different olive? No, they're kind of... I don't know how to describe them. But they're not like the just Joe Schmo green olives. They're a little bit uh, like, like a creamy cheese. Or buttery, I guess. Oh, butter olive. texture? Or? Yeah, it's almost like the flavor has a hint of black olive to it. You know, that rich. Oh, yeah. I think but Robert it's still a green Plant, olive. So it, oh. Robert Plant is very fond of those. He actually wrote a song about it. I would write a song about him too. All of my love. <laughs> all <laughs> of my love. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't bad. That was better than the earlier Paulette attempt. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's getting fruitier, though. Again. I like it. For me, with these highly tannic wines, I just like to be very patient because I know there's going to be the fruit payoff. And I, it's just so worth it when you get to that point. Mm. And I believe the Rhone region, I don't know if it was the Southern Rhone, Northern Rhone, I believe that was the area in which the Syrah grape originated as opposed to, is that true? There's a lot of different theories on that. My personal favorite theory on the origins of Syrah, um, thought I was gonna sneeze, I guess not, uh, is that it actually was brought to the Rhone during the Crusades okay. uh, from Syria and Lebanon. Um, Where it had come from Persia, yes. Uh, there, that 
there that is another theory, but the Crusaders never made it to Persia. No, but it may have come from Persia to those areas, Syria, Lebanon, by the time the Crusaders got there. Maybe. Um, but no one really knows what the famous uh, graves used to make Shirazi wine were, actually, uh, because uh, thanks to the Islamic Revolution, all of those um, vineyards, were vineyards got torn out. Right. So uh, they were making wine in Persia, or I should say Iran, up until the Shah was overthrown? Yes. Wow. Uh, yeah, if you read the, if you ever read uh, medieval Persian poetry, like uh, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, uh, or the Shahnameh, uh, which, although the history of the Shahnameh, fluffy air quotes, the history in the Shahnameh is dated too much earlier uh, than the, when it was written. Uh, there's one mentioned left and right. Oh, yes. Left and right. But Omar Khayyam, I'm not... I know who he is, obviously. Uh, I'm not quite. What was his time frame? When did he write? I want to say 1130 ish. So this was very good. You know, Islam was very. Oh, yeah. Trash. Oh, yes. He was definitely Muslim. And Rumi talks about wine, too, and he was writing in. Uh, in uh, and yet, at the time, there appears not to have been a great dogmatic attitude towards wine. No, not, not so much. It seems to be something that really comes about, and you have your hardliners, but... Uh, um, something that seems to be really about the modern period. Okay, I was off by a hundred years. Uh, he lived from uh, May 18th, 1048, to December 4th, 30, 1131. Okay, well, I said 1100, so I'm not Without delving too, too much more deeply into theological aspects here, uh, did the Shia, the Shiite branch of Islam, have a different attitude towards alcohol than the Sunnis? It does seem that way. Um, but a part of that is that there's so much Persian influence on right, Shia. Right. And... Uh, I guess that that could be a part of it as well. Um, according to uh, the Big Giant Red Wine book, um, uh, by Jancis Robinson, uh, Harding, and Willemals, uh it may be that uh, Syrah is a natural cross between Mondus Blanche, which is the mother, and Teresa, which is the father. Um, and the Drome, the Asteri. Uh, so it may well have happened in the French Rhone or Alps region. Um, but anyway, uh, it's also apparently, uh, Teresa is apparently a Sibling of Taroldigo from northern Italy. So it may well have been from that part of the the world, at least genetically. Which, you know, as much as I love the story of the Crusaders bringing out, unfortunately, uh, the evidence is not borne out by genetics. Sometimes the truth is so much more mundane than Yeah, the truth is much less exciting than, than the fantasy. That goes for almost anything, really. Yes. And except in some key things. Uh, also has a nice pedigree diagram here. 
So why did the South Africans, and especially the Australians, insist upon calling it Shiraz? Um, I think it is connected to that theory that was very in vogue at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that uh, uh, that it came from <laughs> Persia. Sorry. Um, there's a whole bunch of uh, other theories uh, that are covered in uh, this book, uh, such as uh, Pliny the Elder's theory that uh, Syriaca uh, was an ancestor of Syrah, and then there's, of course, the legend about Shiraz, Persia. And bringing it to Syracuse from, uh, or Sicily, rather. Well, Syracuse, yes, from Egypt, I saw that. Yes! Uh, from Agathocles. He was kind of a giant dick from all of the sources I've read historically uh, about him. And then there's also the island of Syrah and Greece and the Cyclades, and then uh, Albanian possibilities and that sort of thing. So how are things opening up over there with those wines, folks? I think the first one was better. First one's better? Mm -hmm. What do you think there? Maybe not better, but like if you had to say which one was better? That's the one I think I would say. Again, the Kornos, as as Cody mentioned, is definitely tighter and more controlled, so to speak. There's just a lot. There is a lot more going on with the Sand Record. Sand Reckoner. It's a little bit wilder, which I like. I dig mm -hmm. that. Yeah, the first one's is it's really smooth and like, I guess soft. It's very disciplined. It's, it's probably probably like a less dominatrix. alcohol. It's very disciplined. <laughs> Dominatrix with a <laughs> well-controlled leather whip attuned to your most vulnerable parts. It's interesting. It doesn't even mention Cornas uh, in here at all. I know. I noticed that earlier. Uh, viticultural characteristics. Vigorous uh, mid-ripening with a short ripening period between variation and harvest. Plus a short window for optimum harvesting. Needs careful trellising and training. Protected for the wind in the spring. Very susceptible to chlorosis and unsuited to soils with high active lime content. We're and bringing you another guest momentarily. I'll be right back. Oh, good. AK is here. Yay! Yay! Uh, also, subtitle. Fuck, I lost my. Uh, should not be grafted on a 110R rootstock. Okay, that's interesting. Susceptible to mites and botrytis bunchrod, especially in your harvest. Also susceptible to a disease of unknown cause, described variously as Syrah Shiraz disease, decline disorder, found in many parts of the world where leaves turn red, swelling and cracks appear at the graft point, and vines eventually die. Some clones appear more susceptible than others. I've actually seen that in a few Syrah vines scattered around the state. Come to think of it now that I read this description. Uh, berries are small and tend to shrivel quickly once ripe. Hmm. Oh, apparently there's Syrah grown in Switzerland, apparently. Uh, 181 hectares. Hectares? Of course it does not mention Arizona. Why would it? Because, God forbid. Oh, well. Oh, it's grown in Thailand. Huh. What book is this? 
this is the Wine Grapes by Chances Robinson. Big, giant, huge, mm -hmm. thicker than a Bible. Um, yeah, I, I, I like this book a lot. It's the best hundred dollars I've probably ever spent in terms of research. Where is she? I didn't see her. She said she was here. Uh, a minor distraction. Please continue the cast. I texted her where here. Hopefully she didn't go up to the Grand Hotel. <laughs> if she did, well, she got a good day's exercise. Anyway, um, here, take a look. Anyway, she'll be up presently, and perhaps will regale us with tales of the Mexican wine country, which she visited not too long ago and had very quite amazing experiences in. Hey, I've always wanted to go to um, uh, I just went to have a smoke because I didn't know how to get in while having whiskey. Uh, you should probably go down and wait for her outside the uh, door. Indeed. <laughs> she, interestingly enough, works at Caduceus Cellars here in Jerome, which is owned by the Legendary Maynard Keenan, winemaker, bon vivant musician extraordinaire, who no doubt everybody has heard of. Who? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a musician? That's that's the first I've heard of that. Never heard of it. There it is. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm an asshole. Uh, I think... Right now, I, I'm still really digging the sand record more. Um, but what I'm going to do is with my next pour of each of these, I'm going to switch glasses. Because I'm also thinking maybe it's just that I have the Cornell in the shittiest possible glass. Yeah. Um, Mine are pretty shitty, both of them. Yours actually <laughs> have a better shape, though. Yes. Uh, plastic is not a bad thing if it's shaped properly. The problem is... Uh, this is a cheap dollar store plastic glass that I got for uh, a picnic that didn't happen because <laughs> everything fell apart before it could happen. So, well, now you have it for future picnics. So now I, yeah, well, I had two of them and now I can't find the other. <laughs> so now I have one, but oh no, I'm only out a dollar from the dollar store. Oh god. Lamentations, whoa. <laughs> Sackcloth ashes. Um, but anyway, my plan is I'm going to switch it up and, and see if maybe it is the glass cause am I. Current kind of eh towards the Cornaw. And it's fundamentally an interesting one, but it's just not my thing right now. Yeah. It's very smooth and 
and clean. Really? Like, you you, yeah. you would categorize but, that as clean? I'm getting, I feel like I'm chewing dirt. Really? So for me, it's very dirty in that sense. I mean, it's a cleanly well-made wine. I mean, there's no flaws or anything. Uh, but for me, in terms of taste, it's definitely like, uh, it's making me think of when I was a kid and would literally like eat mud. Hmm. Not like it hits and then it just like cleans up. Yeah, it kind of has a very short finish, mm -hmm. unlike the Sandmaker, which kind of does linger a little bit. Um, I need my fidget. I have a new fidget dodecahedron. It doesn't have to be a dodecahedron. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, dodecahedron is 12 sides, and this has, I think, 12 sides. So. Perfect. Yeah, the sand reckoner, I'm not. I can't describe it <laughs> in my limited palette knowledge. But try. It's like a, a, well, like I said, black, red velvet, and silky. It's just like very sexy, and and there is a lot of like it's like ugh, dark and mysterious, and I can't put any actual flavors to that. It's just well, then don't don't describe it as a as a wine. Describe it like you would describe a person. Mm -hmm. Dark and mysterious and sexy. Woman, female, male, masculine, feminine, neither? I'd say it's more feminine. And this one's more masculine. Uh. Is that a What's it called again? Why can't I remember that? Cornon. Cornos, I guess, is the... Hermitages I've had over the years, because uh, that is often something that I just can't swing on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder what the cost points of these two bottles side by side are. Actually, I should ask James. Let's see the one here. Yeah, James bought the the Cornaw. I bought the San Reckoner a year ago, two years ago. About two years ago, I think. And it was the one that I was kind of saving for you know, a special occasion and, or, you know, fun, this like <laughs> this. Uh, fun research night. 
sure. You're welcome. for the corner. Finish it in the shitty plastic glass. <laughs> or actually, maybe what I can do is pour it into the other glass now that I've finished off the same marker. Oh yeah. I'm actually getting like a like like pencil. <laughs> in the corner? Uh-huh. Oh, totally graphite. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, now it's opening up much more in this, in this other glass, okay? So that, that settles it. I was just in a shitty, shitty glass, shitty glass, shitty glass. No. So that was my own fault in taking one for the team. I should have been evil and, like... Stolen the good glasses. Stolen the good glasses, but mm -hmm. I try to be a cromulent person. <laughs> A noble spirit becomes the biggest soul. No, no, it seems like a cromwell word. Sorry, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting the graphite, green olive, earth. Well, she's coming presently. <coughs> we found her. She's coming up the stairs? Uh, I will come. She'll be down in the lobby. She's otherwise disposed at the moment. Yeah, uh, it's all warm. Mm -hmm. So, um, what have I missed? Has uh, anything transformed yet? Uh, pencil. She's getting, like, pencil, graphite. Out of the corn off? Yes. Mm -hmm. mm. I meanwhile finish off my sand record and poured the last of my corn off into uh, my other glass, and it definitely is improved. Um, yes. Aroma. Patience, patience with the. Well, I think it's also just that it was in the shitty glass before. So I should just throw those glasses. I okay. drank my corn <laughs> well, Do you want more? I get this one. Do you want some more? <laughs> You want some more cornas? I like that one. And it's not like we have a shortage of it. There's still about half of it left in the decanter. What is it? The sand? What do you call it? Sand, 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 sand reckoner. That one's higher alcohol content, eh? Actually, that's a good question. <laughs> it kind of it tastes like it is. It feels like so it is. the cornas is 13. And the sand reckoner is... Where the hell is it this day? Oh, yes, you are very right. Uh, 15.5. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, my. So the Sand Reckoner, the flavor that I was trying to put my finger on, it's buttered popcorn flavored jelly bellies. What the hell? Smell it. Okay. I was getting something kind of buttery. Like, I get butter, but... but that jelly specifically the butter popcorn flavored jelly bellies. I get like movie Those theater butter. No popcorn, just the butter. Now what possible soil content could 
contribute such a flavor to a red wine? To me, that's more of a malolactic fermentation thing. Aha. Because so uh, yes. malolactic fermentation does occur in all reds. Um, well, not all reds, but a lot of reds are inoculated in malolactic fermentation. Uh, one of the most interesting wines I've red wines I've had was a, it was actually Syrah, and also ironically, it was the vineyard uh, in Colorado where Rob Hellman got his start. It was after he left that that wine was made, but it was a Syrah where malolactic fermentation was inhibited. Um, so it was super high acid, because uh, it didn't go malolactic fermentation, which kind of lowers your acid content a bit. Uh, as that malic acid gets transformed to lactic acid. Uh, the difference is that you don't usually get that buttery character in reds because reds are racked a lot more uh, versus whites, which might be racked once or twice. Reds are often racked over the years like three or four or five times. So maybe that this wine was not racked as uh, much like a white, and so some of that buttery character was preserved. Um, I need to revisit that in a moment to, to see if I can rediscover that. Because I didn't notice that, but I also wasn't looking for it either. Because, um, yes, the butter is there. Although I was trying to call it artichoke. But, um, anyway. I get that too, though. But I did just have the veggie pizza. Right, right. Our palates, you know, are tainted and altered and affected in some ways by, you know, the food we eat, the glasses we take out. Now, Sand Reckoner is located where? Wilcox. Wilcox, okay. Yes, he is currently sourcing all of his grapes from vineyards in the Wilcox area. Uh, well, uh, he has sourced historically from a few vineyards in New Mexico as well, but clearly mentions those. So there are currently three AVAs in Arizona? This two. Time. Two. Uh, Verde is not an AVA yet, but they're working on it. Okay. Uh, the application was considered perfected. That's uh, going to go through a public commentary period eventually. Uh, but Elgin Sonoida and Wilcox? Uh, Elgin Sonoida is one AVA. Um, and then you've got uh, the Wilcox AVA now. Uh, I could see uh, Chino Valley coming in AVA in the future. That will be interesting. interesting. More people plan there. And I have yet to try that uh, Pinot Noir from, uh, what was it? Uh, Del Rio. Del Rio. Yes. I believe that's uh, appointment only. Yes. Okay. Uh, but you can sometimes find bottles of that at uh, PLD, Plaza Liquor Deli. I did not know that. Now you do. I do. You don't know? What do I know now? What's an AVA? Oh, an AVA is an American viticultural area. Uh, so it's kind of like the equivalent of, like, say, a Cornos application. Uh, Appalachian. So it's uh, a specific region for specific terroir and specific landscapes and specific, sometimes specific grapes. Uh, it's usually less strict uh, than. Uh, European Appalachian rules in terms of what can be grown or what can't be grown there. Did you get it? I'm still waiting for some enterprising West Virginia wine grower to start the Appalachian Appalachian. 
AA? That'd be the AAVA. 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 And it's not anonymous. Well, I myself, if you all don't mind, would like to try a little bit more Sand Reckoner. Go ahead. And Kornos. Uh, I'm going to do that here in a moment, too. But not too much. Reckoner, Kornos coming up momentarily. I feel like I would also approach these two wines very differently for food pairing. Um, I kind of want elk or something super gamey with the Kornos. Um, Sand Reckoner, I want just like barbecue ribs or barbecue brisket or just. Barbecue, barbecue. Barbecue pizza? We do have barbecue Actually, pizza. yeah, give me a, a, a moment here to see well, if I... I got the barbecue pizza. I love their barbecue pizza. Where did I put the shitty glass? There we go. Ah. <sighs> squeeze over here. No, that is not barbecue. That is the barbecue. Okay. And that is a fine barbecue chicken pizza, courtesy of Grapes. One of the best barbecue chicken pizzas I have ever partaken of. Yeah, it's delicious. <clears throat> Pretty sure it's Sweet Baby Ray's, too. Yeah, this works. The cornos and the barbecue. No, no, no. Uh, the sand reckoner. Okay. Cornos, I want something big and gamey like elk or venison. Yes. We should have gotten bordello burgers. Yes, indeed. Nice. Um, or I could just go out and run something over. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. You'll ruin your car. I know this from experience. Just joking. Well, make sure it's got hoods. I personally am getting more out of the sand reckoner now. I'm getting more of the fruit than I was earlier. That's coming through. And I find the sand reckoner to be livelier than the cornas. Again, the word tight comes to mind. Tight, controlled, which, you know, is, is good for a wine under certain circumstances, but if you're feeling like something bold and venturesome and wild on the palate, then I think the Sand Reckoner is probably the better choice. <clears throat> and I never have tasted malolactic fermentation in red until tonight. Well, so much so that I didn't really recognize it for what it was. And technically, there is malolactic fermentation in most reds. But... In terms of that, that flavor profile of butteriness. Yes. I've never tasted anything quite like this in, uh, in my memory. And it's not unappealing at all. Again, the beauty of drinking any particular glass of wine is just the new experiences, the new flavors, the new nuances of flavors that you get 
from glass to glass. It's really exciting and, you know, frankly, most of these new flavors I've discovered in a wine have been very appealing. And it just kind of underscores why I prefer wine over beer because I just don't really get that complexity in a beer, even, you know, a good microbrew. Now, for me, wine is definitely a drink that, that brings forth a lot more conversation than beer. Um, which is why I tend to drink beer more when I'm in a depressive state, because mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to people. Right, right. Versus wine, where it's more open and talkative. And I don't want to get all snobby, but there is just something a little bit more indicative of high culture, civilization, with regard to wine. That's not to say that beer does not make for an enjoyable time, an enjoyable experience, get-together conversation, but there's just something about wine that takes me to the next level that beer can't. Wine. It's how classy people get shit-faced. Mm -hmm. Exactly. As the poster <laughs> on the wall of work says. <laughs> nice. I like the, the tomato and basil and mozzarella with the ornos. Very good. That's one of the other great parts about wine is the food pairing. Mm -hmm. So many wonderful. I can see that actually as I sip the corn It's it's very savory, and then it kind of the tomato and the basil bring out a little bit of a fruity or hmm. a little bit of sweetness. Mm -hmm. I should it's try that actually. It's the basil. Can you hand me a slice of that, please? Yes, because I'm curious about this now. Yeah, it does bring out a. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying the sand reckoner has really grown on me since we first started sipping it. It's really evolved into something truly complex and enjoyable. I kind of felt it tasted a little better after it sat in the cup for a minute. Well, my next plan is to aerate the absolute living heck out of a glass of corn and see what it does. Uh, the trick that I showed you last time. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, trying this with the tomato, basil, mozzarella pizza, uh, it does bring out a little bit more of the fruit character. Uh, it does bring out more of that uh, cherry character. Oh yes, there's that basil. And then, um, it also makes the graphite pretty prominent too, and it also brings out the violets, or, or some sort of violet or lilac character. As well. I'm 
Okay, let's aerate the hell out of this corn on glass. Here we go with the tornado. He's opening a hole in the space-time continuum. If I do this fast enough, I can go back in time and warn myself. Or better yet, you know, play the stock market. There you go. Just don't become your own grandfather or something like that. Yeah, I don't really want to be Philip Fry. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> I like the Sam, Sam Piper, Sam Ricker. Mm -hmm. so I, I oh, here. Is there a hole in it? Uh, some of the finish was coming off. <laughs> Oh, that smells much nicer. Mmm. I can definitely get violets out of that. Mm. That's the first one. Mm-hmm. The cornhole. <laughs> oh boy. The preferred wine of Beavis. Oh dear. Do you guys need more? Yeah. We are still waiting on the arrival of the elusive AK. We may have to close this soon anyway. She just will not be featured. That's a fit. Look at there's a little bit of sediments in the sand reckoner. Oh, fair bit of sediments in the sand reckoner. Oh, now that's interesting. Holding them to the light. Cornelis is definitely a lot darker. My arm is getting tired. <laughs> I just got back to Venice, back from Venice, and boy, are my arms tired. Huh. Little Mel Brooks. <sighs> History of the World Part what One. It's too bad we can't stumble upon a patch of Jerome and Red. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We yeah. are now armed with mighty joints. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> okay. That's, I think, as about as much as my arm can take. Your thoughts, sir? Much more floral. Uh, like violets, lilac, pencil lead. Graphite. Um, cedar. The earth is definitely still there. 
uh, or I should say that earthy character, because clearly the earth is still there. We're, you know, standing on it. Or is it? Her, her, her. Yuck, yuck. Walk, 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 walk. And, um, Cherry Cassis, sort of a mulberry character. Um, still not super fruity. It's not nearly as fruity as the Sand Reckoner. Right, right. Was. Somebody's, uh, oh, that reminds me. Uh, we were talking about bottle cost. Uh, how much does this Cornhouse uh, cost? Uh, in U.S. dollars or U Japanese yen? Yeah. It was uh, 80 bucks. U U.S. dollars, okay. Uh, the Sand Marketer was a, a $65 bottle, if okay. I remember correctly. Okay. So I wanted to, to see how they, they compared price-wise. Price not too far. No, no, not at all. But again, this Kornos is different from the one that I opened and greedily imbibed by myself. <laughs> mm. And yeah, I'm thinking that... cheese is gone. <clears throat> like, I'm not even smelling that at all. You mentioned this Kornos was produced probably in the clay... I, I'm guessing area. just based by... Palette taste? Palette taste, wow. Told you this Cornwall was better. <laughs> also, I don't know where my fidget went. But it's probably the higher alcohol content. I literally just had it. It takes away from it's all under the chair. There you go. Ah. It takes away from your flavor. But anyway, um. Uh, I still feel like I, I like the Sand Reckoner a little bit better. Okay. I think the Cornaw just needs more time. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we are still drinking this too young. Maybe we still have not decanted this enough. Um, what would be your recommended decanting time? The I would probably taste on this, if not more, maybe four. Yeah. <clears throat> Where did my phone go? There was a little phone oh, right over here. here a minute ago. Ah, I'm losing everything left and right tonight. Camouflage. That's true, it is. In the Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> I'm serious. I thought that bag was <laughs> I was freaking for just mm -hmm. a microsecond. <laughs> It'd be just like that dog to follow me all the way to Rome. Well, it's like uh, Sean's front porch. He's got that Indian chief. And he's had it for probably about five months, four or five months. Every time I see it, I want to say hi, Rick, or hi, Sean, or, you know, <laughs> hi to somebody. And it's like, just oh, this wooden Indian smoke chief. Technically, chief, he's just an Indian cowboy, huh? Like that. Yeah, because he got no feather in his hat. Mm -hmm. But anyway, guys, I think uh, we're going to close this out. Final uh, thoughts. Something final thoughts. On this one, like which one do you like better? Cornwall. Why? <laughs> Cornwall's better. Well, they were very different, obviously. Uh, I think it's the higher alcohol content that for me takes it away from the sandpiper. Uh, you know, the the sand reckoner took me some getting used to it. Just had a very unique, I would almost say, alien quality to it, and I do not mean that as a put down by any sense. I just never tasted anything quite like it. Uh, 
but yeah, it grew on me, absolutely. Um, and then there was the Kornos, which uh, I, I felt, I, I, again, I have a difference of opinion. I thought it, I could taste the fruit. I did not find it too tannic. Um, it tasted pretty damn good to me at, at, from the get-go. I mean, we had decanted it for about 30, 45 minutes before we, we actually tasted it. I was getting the fruit, again, that, that's a big thing for me, and I did not get that from the Chateau Neuf de Pop on our <laughs> last podcast. Uh, so which one do I like better, ultimately? I would have to go with the Sandrechner, just because it really came into its own after a while and really surprised me, and in a good way. Again, the Cornas, very tight, very controlled, not especially wild and surprising, but still eminently drinkable. What about you, Jesse? I still like the Sand Reckoner best, but um, but the Cornal, uh, is that how you say it? Cornos. Cornos. <laughs> it should be Cornal because France, but again, I saw Cornal. an interview with the Vintner and he called it, the native Frenchman, he called it Cornos. Cornos. That's what I'll call it. Cornos. French is weird. It is. Yeah. But I, since it's been opening up, I've been, it's, it's very complex because, you know, I'm starting off with blue cheese and olives and then, you know, working my way into pencil lead <laughs> and some fruit, you know? And, um, so it's, it's very enjoyable and I, I like it a lot, but I still, there, it's the dark, mysterious, sexy of the Sand Reckoner that, <laughs> that I love. Rather than the disciplined German dominatrix quality of the Exactly. Yes. I was kind of picturing her as more Breton than, than German. <laughs> That'll work too. You know, the, the part of France where they'll kick your ass. Yes. <laughs> and take names, probably. Um, Cornas is interesting. Uh, it's a wine that I definitely want to revisit as a region. Uh, but I think I'm going to have to go with Sand Reckoner. Uh, it's far more approachable. Um, Cornas is not bad. It's not flawed. It's just right now it's not my thing. Uh, I think it needs more time in bottle, um, more decant time. I. Still wasn't to get it to, to open up entirely, even after, you know, almost a minute of literally, like, wearing a hole in the dresser. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's very interesting. Um, and complex, and, and it, it is a wine that definitely requires a lot of thought and contemplation, which I do like in my wines. I, I don't like wines that are... I often don't like wines that are easy. overly simple and easy. Um, no instant gratification. Uh, please, I, I'm orthodox. I don't get instant gratification. That's a sin. Um, if you're happy and you know it, that's a sin. Sorry. Um, um, but I think the Sand Reckoner is, is one that I, I'm enjoying more right off the bat. Um, 
Maybe it's just that I know that landscape better than I know Cornell's? I don't know. Um, I'd like to revisit Cornell again, or Cornell's uh, again at some, some point. But in the meantime, verdict, Arizona wins. America. So this is the second time. <laughs> uh, because uh, I think we agreed in the uh, Chateauneuf podcast that the yeah. Willie Cox was... Uh, well, I think we said that we liked the Chateauneuf more because it was more subtle mm -hmm. and, and contemplative. Mm -hmm. But in terms of food pairing, the, the, the Arizona won out. Right. Um, so I guess we are to. It really took forever to get to the the payoff of the shaft of the pot. By the time I got, yeah, I've heard that. I was virtually out of it. <laughs> but anyway, gang. Until the next time. Uh, this is Cody, the Arizona Wine Monk, and friends. Ah. I'm in the hotel at Jerome, baby.